Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. This call is being recorded. You are listening to the SteelerFury.com podcast. Uh, I, I am your host uh, and sometimes uh, star of the show. My name is Brad Chaudabin. Uh, as always, I'm joined with my cohort uh, and the curmudgeon. His name is FC. He's with us. How are you, sir? I'm good. I'm never the star of the show. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think there's, a, there's an alternative version of the show where you host. And um, there are probably more uh, bong tokes, maybe. Oh, no, far are... more bong tokes. <laughs> Instead of having hot takes uh, about various subjects, we have hot tokes, right? That would be your show. Exactly. It's the FC show. We should do that. We should do one next year. We'll do. We'll do. <laughs> Welcome to the FC show, and you'll just have full reign. You can do whatever you like. If we play in Denver or like in like at Seattle next year, like <laughs> states where like they have complete dem- decriminalization, that would be the perfect week. Pretty good. I can, I can buy that. Um, speaking of of criminal, what the Steelers did to the Miami Dolphins in the wild card round last week in the first uh, fifteen minutes of that game was basically criminal. Um, do you hold it against the Steelers that they kind of couldn't make their minds up about how to finish out that game since it was basically over in the first 15 minutes? Um, a little bit, but at the same time, you know, uh, it was ugly. Uh, the, 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 I mean, just from a Dolphins standpoint, because, you know, after at halftime, basically, the Steelers could say, all right, well, they can't stop us passing the ball. We just ran the ball 13 consecutive times for a touch, and they can't stop us running the football. And the only, you know, if if we don't make mistakes, you know, we have no chance of winning this game. That's from a Dolphins' perspective. Steelers probably are figuring, well, we've blown leads. Uh, you know, it was – I you got to credit Haley. I mean, but we've run those plays a dozen times. You really got to credit the offensive line and Jesse James. Players execute. That's that's how you win playoff games. You know, it's a little extra efforts. It's smart plays. It's A.B. slowing down, picking up that block from Jesse James. Touchdown. Then, you know, you want to play man coverage, you know, or if you want to play, you know, just one over the top and, and, and try to rob Antonio Brown underneath, you're going to sometimes have a corner fall down and you're going to have Antonio Brown split your safeties. It was, you know, I like the aggressive play calling. How about that? Um, there's going to be other things I didn't like. I'm sure we're going to get to should have been and been in the game, which that's an interesting problem or interesting question to ask. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, we can we can get at that. I mean, I I, uh, I would not have been my choice to have him in the game. More um, mine. But I don't. I also don't think it's that unusual. I mean, that's the thing. It's one of those deals. There's a lot of stuff that NFL coaches do all the time that uh, they think is completely acceptable and is within the norms. 
that most fans are like, no, you know, don't don't risk. Why would you risk, you know, Le'Veon Bell getting hit or Antonio Brown taking a hit or your your franchise quarterback, uh, you know, that you can't really win. This, you have no chance at winning the championship without him. You know, why would you have him out there in a situation where almost nothing good can happen? Uh, but they don't look at it that way. They look at the position, playing the position is a lot of different things. Ben's out there checking into different plays that are more favorable. You know, he's handling the football on every play like a point guard. It's like in, in basketball game, you know, there's plenty of times when they have a point guard in there, uh, you know, towards the end of the game to try to make sure that the ball is handled correctly. And in this standpoint, okay, maybe it was pretty unrealistic to think that the Dolphins were still in the game when they were down three scores. Uh, but, you know, like I don't – I guess I don't, to- I don't totally uh, – I don't think it was so ridiculous that he should be fired for it. On the other hand, I think you got to be a little bit more careful with your assets. That's what, that's what I would say. I agree. You know, uh, it's – if Landry Jones comes in and fumbles or something like that, I understand he must put away, but I think uh, one possession in a fourth quarter – is would have been my absolute limit with Ben, but I don't get paid a lot of money, and it's real easy to sit back and reflect. You know, hindsight's perfect. Twenty twenty. I mean, I tell you what, you take Ben out of that game, and uh, Dolphins make it close, and you have to put Ben back in. That's that's yeah. worse. <laughs> yeah, and that's why I said one possession into the fourth quarter, where yeah. I'm still I'm up by I believe twenty over twenty points. Yeah. yeah. Although you could make a you know totally realistic argument that when the Steelers went up twenty to three, that game's over. Uh, so, anyway, um, that speaking of which, I mean that's the other thing people want to talk about. There's an article in Deadspin. I'm sure you saw it uh, about Ben's inconsistent play, and you cited as an example what he did in the Miami game after the first eleven throws. And it's kind of like I don't even know if Ben remembered that he was in a football game. <laughs> it's like you know they're like every once in a while they'd be like. Oh yeah, we have Ben. Let's throw let's throw the ball here on third down. Uh, it it wasn't it kind of wasn't uh, you know it wasn't the most inspired second half of football for Ben. But on the other hand, you know he's it's so totally out of the mindset of gunslinger at that point. A and B, Fantonio Brown catches two balls that he catches about ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the time. Then right. You know, there's there's no first half interception. The Steelers get another score. Ben might even be out of the game later. And then, uh, you know, he, that crossing pattern in the second half was one of those plays recorded by the statisticians as an incompletion. You know, making Ben look uh, more inconsistent than he was. Uh, that normally Antonio Brown takes that ball and runs for about 40 yards with it. So, from that standpoint, like I I just kind of feel like the way the you have to judge based on the way the game is flowing and the flow of the game was. The Steelers utterly and totally dominated that game until the Dolphins were ready to get back on the airplane. And, you know, to Matt Moore's credit, he did not give up. He took what the Steelers gave him, so on. That kind of brings me to the next question, which is the other side of the football. You could, you could be alarmed that, uh, you know, Matt Moore had, you know, eight yards an attempt uh, and basically, you know, was able to complete a lot of passes uh, unhindered against the Steelers' defense, that that sort of you know kept them hanging around for a little while. You know, my I guess my question is: It looked to me like the Steelers, once they got the big lead, were totally playing vanilla on defense as if it were a preseason game. Which side of that argument do you fall on? Do you worry about what the defense gave up, 
or do you think maybe they were, you know, withholding some of their uh, goods for a later time when they needed it more? I think they played vanilla to with the lead to keep, you know, uh, if you were going to score, you were going to methodically drive the ball down the field. You're going to have to pick, you know, the right runs and the right pass, 9, 10, 11, 12 plays, you know, to score. And I can understand. Um, the thing is, is Albert and Juwan James were overmatched by Harrison and Bud Dupree on the outside. And the Steelers actually got very good play from I was gonna say I was gonna say that's a, the only reason the Steelers were outmatched was they did not have your dog. Again, <laughs> uh, at any rate, oh, I, I see what it is. Did you accidentally get muted there? Let's find out. No, FC, you with us? Oh, he's muting himself. Okay. Uh, anyway, I'll, I'll pick up from that. Uh, you know, I felt like. They they might have played kind of vanilla in stretches, but sort of like when they got down there near the uh, when they got down there near the red zone or on the key third downs, they dialed up some stuff that uh, was a little less vanilla. And as you said, the tackles were kind of overmatched, right? I agree, sir. The tackles were very overmatched. Uh, Bud Dupree and James Harrison had their way. Um, and you know, whenever you also get an interior rush from Hargraves into it. L.T. Walton, you know, that's if Kansas City doesn't block us better, Kansas City is in big trouble. Yeah, I mean, to that to that end, um, just talking about that for a second, Bud Dupree, you know, it wasn't just that he, he found a tackle matchup that was in his favor. He seemed to do some things with his hands and in, uh, you know, trying to mix up his pass rush tools that have to be encouraging, right? It is. Um, if he ever learns to play with his pads a little bit lower, he's going to be really, really healthy. He's going to be a good player. Um, he still plays a little bit too much, too upright, which takes away from uh, some of even more of his natural gifts. He's so damn explosive. Whenever he plays low with, you know, proper angles, and he's, he's unblockable, I mean. But he's still very raw. And uh, I think the technique's going to come because the techniques are already starting to come. And uh, he's a hard worker. He's been injured. So I think that probably, you know, limited, you know, how much he could work, you know, on his pass rushing game for the last four or five months. Sure. I, the, the needle is definitely pointing up. He's a young player, you know. And uh, what's not to like? Because uh, – he, he he chases plays. There's there's nothing really negative about his game except for he needs to become a technician. And you know, with his work ethic, he probably is going to be become a technician. So Steelers going to pay a lot of money to keep him. <laughs> well, and I think also that the thing about the technique is when you have some success experiences using technique, right? So yep. he's hit. If he has the more success experiences he has with what he's doing. Seems like the better chance that he'll uh, he'll grow with that and and really embrace it. You know, I mean, not to say that he hasn't, but you start to see the benefits of the work that you've put in. It definitely encourages you to work harder. Um, I, you know, the other thing I noticed about him is 
he he is just a lot bigger than you think he is. He doesn't. He's not built like a uh, a person of his weight or size. He was just kind of like a right. lanky build. But I noticed that when he hits quarterbacks, like okay, they play early in the game where he couldn't decide whether to jump up and and stop the quick the quick outlet pass or rush the passer. So he kind of did a little bit of both, which meant that he got to the quarterback just as he was releasing it, and he just kind of gave him a shove. It didn't really look like you know one of those whole like he put his whole body into the shove. It was just kind of a flick, right. and Matt Moore went tumbling, you know, like basically like he'd been shot by a cannon, and that that says nothing of of the hit when he actually had a full running start and hit him. I you know in a way, I think uh, you know the power potential explosion in that guy. You can see it uh, when he's able to you know when he's able to use the tools and able to use his technique. He just has unbelievable explosion. Like I don't know, there's not many, there's not many guys in the NFL at his position that have that much explosion. So, I agree. Right on. Well, uh, this, uh, you know, the the effort in this game of Le'Veon Bell is the other thing I want to talk about. You know, of course he had some, like his last touchdown. You know, he had a he had a hole there to work with that you could have. I mean, absolutely, literally driven a truck through <laughs> you know, that was open for him by DeCastro and uh, David Johnson uh, and so on. You know, but with even even so, his running style, is he just, is he like, is he tapped into like another level in the, you know, he's already, he was already at like some crazy Madden level. Has he tapped into some like cheater mode? That's what it looks like. Um. He has a unique running style. Um, he hops. He really does. I mean, I hate Chris Collinsworth, but he hit the nail on the head. Um, you're going to have a rainy, you know, ice-frozen field, and I don't think it's going to really affect Bell much. And that's what's unique about his running style. That's what's unique about his game is most you, – you, you have your classic mutter. And then you have a guys that are just ideal on perfect conditions. Field conditions don't really seem to matter to Bell too much with his running style. Um, he he's explosive. Don't get me wrong, but he, you don't see him make a ton of violent cuts or violently attack the hole. That's the whole patience thing, and his balance with the patience is elite. And you know he's also a very good back. I mean he has you know, God-given ability, powerful, you know, what I think makes him special and different than any back, because you could say he's like Eric Dickerson, but no, Eric Dickerson was a glider, not a hopper. Um, he's like Marcus Allen. Eh, Marcus Allen did hop at times, but more of, still more of a glider. You get to like LaDainian and Tomlinson, but no, he was a violent cutter. It's just, I haven't seen a back like him. And he, he's perfect for Pittsburgh. He would be perfect for Kansas City, places where you have shitty fucking weather. Because he, if he can pass the drug test, he, he's a complete back. He can pass ball, he can catch the ball, he can run the ball. <laughs> and his skill set is just, is, is he otherworldly? No. Because there's been, you know, better backs, but there's never been a back that's had all these skills that I can think of. Because he's also a big back. You know, he's still 210 pounds. Sure. 208, 210 pounds. You know, there's been, you know, guys that could really catch the ball. You know, Ronnie Harmon, you know, throughout Larry Centers. 
But those guys couldn't fucking think about running the football like Le'Veon Bell. I wouldn't say Le'Veon Bell is as gifted of, of, of a running back as, let's say, Jim Brown or Walter Payton. Those are, but Jim Brown and Walter Payton weren't as good in the passing game. Now, I understand Walter Payton was pretty good in the passing game, but Le'Veon Bell is very good in the passing game. And I'm not saying he's going to be better than Walter Payton or anything like that. But through four years, I mean, he averaged 150 yards total offense per game this year. That's that's sick. That's Jim Brown like. Yeah, come on. He said he set the, he set the Steelers' all-time regular season game record this year and the all-time postseason game record for rushing yards. I mean, you know, he's starting to make a he's starting to put stack as as Tomlin would say. He's starting to stack up accomplishments. You know, um, and more importantly, they seem to be really effective in winning it's not just uh you know running for the sake of running um the guy seems to be effective when he needs to be running the football although you know that sort of end of game situation they've had some mixed results with uh you know trying to pound the rock to run out the clock late in the game when everybody knows they're going to do it they had they had pretty good success against cincinnati but they didn't they haven't necessarily had a lot of success otherwise so you know i, I mean you could almost make a case that that um you know, he's that tail end of the game there. If you gave him a a series of a breather before that, that you might have a better chance of accomplishing that late in the game. But it's another one of those things where, you know, guys too good to take him off the field basically. So, uh, you know, that's a speaking of ballsy coaching calls, taking Le'Veon Bell or Antonio Brown off, off the field or taking the ball out of Ben's hands, you know, things that are never going to win you any points, uh, but that might help you in the long run occasionally. Uh, anyway, so. Um, you know, we. I guess we. I, I'm supposing that we can agree that this game against Miami was what they needed to do uh, to beat a team that they were, you know, a better team. And Miami had, you know, lost its quarterback and all that kind of stuff. This week seems like an entirely different animal to me. Um, I'll, I'll be the first one to say it on this show. I'm. I'm the most nervous about this game uh, of any game that we've played in a really long time. Even the Denver game in the playoffs last year without Antonio Brown, I, I, I was nervous, but on the other hand, you felt like you were sort of playing with house money at that point. Um, in this game, you know, we all know about Andy Reid coming off a bye where he's very rarely lost. Uh, he's 3-0 and in divisional round in the playoffs when he's had a bye. Uh, we know that Kansas City, tough place to play. And the thing that most people don't know uh, is that Alex Smith, for all his faults, uh, has been a terrific postseason quarterback. He has a roughly 100 quarterback rating. Uh, throws very few interceptions. Uh, throws more touchdowns per throw than he does in the regular season. So Steelers are going to go in a hostile environment against a team that's probably going to play well coming out of the bye, that's probably going to have a quarterback who plays well. Tell me some things to look out for in this matchup. Um, that are going to be different than what we saw with Kansas City coming into Pittsburgh and getting blown out. Everything being equal? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Unless all of a sudden, you know, Tomaha Lee and Justin Houston's knee problems are going to be 100% fixed. Unless Somehow, some way, they figured a way to uh, improve upon losing their best defender 
most likely. People are going to say Marcus Peters. Other people are going to say Eric Berry. A lot of people will say Derek Johnson isn't in this game, and oh boy, is that a big loss for Kansas City. Um, I don't see much difference unless Don Terry Poe's figured a way to be able to handle Ramon Foster and Pouncey and DeCastra. I actually think the Chiefs are worse off. I mean, from a personnel player standpoint, you know, um, they're facing an offensive line that allows their, their backs rushed for the most yards per carry and uh, allowed the second few sacks in the NFL. You know, uh, I don't know. If I, if I was Kansas City, I would be a little bit concerned heading into this game. I mean, we have the be- Kansas City has the best tight end in the NFL, according to a lot of people. And, uh, well, he, he had a lot of catches. I believe he had four or five catches in the first game, but for like 35 yards. They're going to figure a way to, you know, Shazir's. And, I mean, the, the, the Steelers came up with a nice package of putting Justin Gilbert on Kelsey at times. Gilbert ain't going to be playing, but that Sean Davis kid's doing a little bit better now, and Artie Burns seems to be. I think that this is actually a better Steelers team playing a little less talented Kansas City Chiefs team at this point. Yeah, I mean, I, I, here's the thing. I don't, I don't think the Chiefs have as much talent, right? Uh, even though their quarterback plays well in the postseason. had in the previous game. Oh, is, right. I mean, Derek Johnson, huge, huge loss for Kansas City. Did he get? Kansas did he get? Should not have beat Atlanta. But, but he got hurt I mean, during the. He got hurt during the Pittsburgh game, didn't he, Derek Johnson? Wasn't that when he got hurt? Maybe I'm just conflating it with another time I saw them play. But you're right, Derek Johnson is a big, big loss. Um, I mean, I okay on the on a positive side, I will I will agree with you, and especially in that the the strengths of of uh, Kansas City's team. I mean, Marcus Peters is basically their best player right now because right. Justin Houston is 100% and Derek Johnson's out. And and he is matched up against a guy who is better than him. You know? So it's like, even though it might slow down a little bit about what the Steelers will attempt to do with Antonio Brown, it's not like Marcus Peters is a guy who can just erase him from the game and force you to do something else. Don Terry Poe might be an obstacle literally to to running the football but you know when you when you're multiple on offense and you can you know they have to try to protect all kinds of stuff and they have to protect a linebacker or middle linebacker situation you know it can be a little different. Uh, Justin Houston can totally disrupt the game but even when he was healthy uh the Steelers kept him at bay pretty well I thought. So yeah, I mean from a uh, uh, from what do you a do with Sean Smith whenever the Steelers line up you're either going to have to Sean Smith's either going to have to cover Eli Rogers or he's going to have to cover Antonio Brown. It, 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 the matchup is going to eventually have to happen. And then, I mean, that, he just there's no chance. On a frozen field, there is no chance. There is no, not a chance on God's green earth. I am the, one of the biggest Sean Smith fans. I know you were as well coming out of Utah. We both love them. He's not the same Sean Smith. <laughs> that played in Utah for the Dolphins. Age and sure. the injuries have robbed the man of his quickness. and. I mean, I, I, I've, I've heard and I understand all these things and all these numbers, and at the end of the day, I, if the Chiefs play to their best and the Steelers play to their best, I think the Steelers win. If the Chiefs play to their best and the Steelers 
play a pretty good game. I think it's a 50-50 proposition. I really do. I just the the Chiefs match up so much better with other teams than the Steelers because if the Chiefs can't be the bully, they're fucked. It's plain, simple, and easy. I, I, I've watched, amazingly, I've watched the last four or five Chiefs games, and Atlanta, the Atlanta game is what sticks out most to me. They got by with special teams. They ran a fake punt, which changed the game, and Tyreek Hill. That, that is my biggest concern, is the little midget like that drop-kicked his pregnant girlfriend in the belly. It's Hill. I... I I, Alex Smith is a great quarterback. I don't think Jeremy Macklin and Kelsey and whatever combination of back and Chris Conley can do enough. I don't think they're as good as the Dolphins at the skill position in matchups against the Steelers. Yeah, I think that, the Dolphins, yeah. Would you agree oh, with that? Right. Even with uh, Matt Moore and, and Alex Smith. But when you factor in you know, J.A.J. and Jarvis Landry, and the rest of the Dolphins, even Deion Lewis, I would take those weapons over the Kansas City Chiefs. I think the oh. Chiefs' offensive line is very similar to that of the Miami Dolphins. I think that the Chiefs' front seven is better overall than the Dolphins, and their back seven is de- or their back four is definitely much better. But yeah, well. The Chiefs. Yeah, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Miami. We didn't. You know. We we didn't. We knew Miami was capable of running the football. They have. They've been here. The Chiefs are, are not really good at running the football. I mean, their their run def, their run offense is on paper pretty terrible. So you know, I I kind of feel I feel you're right. If you go through you know go through all the matchups and so on and so forth, but the reason it doesn't always translate into games is that they they lead the universe in non-offensive touchdowns. It's this thing that you're you know it's this thing that you you kind of can't quantify when you're just examining the game on the basis of matchups in the trenches, which is where games are usually won and lost all you know frequently most of the time, right? But the problem with this team is they have the best special teams coach uh, in the league, who's probably let, let us hope he's distracted with his uh, you know new head coaching job he's about to get in San Diego, but you know they they add all these mystery extra points, hidden field position, so on and so forth, and you know kind of feels like that's that's the part of the game that no much no much you no matter how hard you try to counteract it or deal with it. Uh, it's it's not always possible to completely erase it from being uh, an issue, right? I mean, the main way you erase it from being an issue is scoring every time you have the ball on offense, right? Sure. And then kicking the ball out of the end zone. But, you know, that may or may not be, be plausible uh, in this game. There's only one other thing that could actually mess with special teams, in my opinion. Mother nature. Sure. And the that's... Who does the weather affect more this week? And is it going to be the team that relies on screen passes, you know, kick returns, punt returns, strip sacks, interceptions, pick sixes? And I agree with you. The Chiefs' defense has scored a ton of points. I believe it was Kansas City and Seattle that played this season. I could be wrong. 
where I think Seattle's defense and special teams put up 21 points. I know the Chiefs did it this year. I know they scored three defensive touchdowns in one game, and I want to say it was against the Seahawks. As funny as that sounds. I might be wrong, but I am positive they scored three touchdowns in one game this year, and I believe it was against the Seattle Seahawks. Um, If the weather is as bad, and everything I've read, it seems pretty nasty. Like, zero out of ten UV, so there's going to be, like, no freaking sun. It's supposed to be, like, 35 degrees, so you're sitting there with beautiful frozen rain which I think is the absolute worst thing to play the game of football in. There's nothing worse than like 34, 35 degrees and rain. Mm, I, mean, I don't know. I, I, think I, I think the worst is what they played in Miami earlier in the year when it's like 90 degrees. 90? When, when your offensive linemen are about to fucking stroke out? I can understand that. <laughs> but I can give them IVs and needles. There is no talking in the, no way you're talking a person out of like fucking being cold when you're sitting there shivering because it's like 25 degrees colder so take that like 35 and drop it down to 15 and you're fucking wet yeah and it's, it, people break i mean let me put it this way the weather affected the dolphins in pittsburgh it really did oh because sure because you, you like you could this the like jarvis landry has absolute no pussy in him i really believe that he's hard as nails at the end of the third quarter, he was basically ready to get back on the flight and go to Boca. He, he took, was, he was over he took himself out of the he took himself out of the game, which is like you know one yeah. of those NFL things where you're like, this is this is not a good you know of a playoff game. Like, man, that's rough. Yeah. Usually, guys are fighting to stay back on the field. But yeah, I, I I mean, there's no doubt the weather's a big factor, and knowing exactly how it'll affect guys is is hard to say. One one thing I like to the Steelers' advantage in terms of the weather is that they they played basically the worst. Whoa! Bye, Couchy. Whoa! He they played basically the worst uh, with the worst weather of anybody in the NFL. I think actually, let's see, they had uh, according to people that track these things, the thirty first most impactful weather uh, in the NFL. Meaning there was only one team that faced worse weather. That was Baltimore. Uh, so the kicking game, uh, our you know uh, our our success in that game in the in the bad weather pretty good. Our offense used to playing with uh, the elements this year. We've had a lot of elements games with wind and rain and snow. Um, you know, to to me that's a you know that's a huge advantage. Not that the Chiefs are not accustomed to playing in bad weather in Kansas City, but they haven't faced it the way that we have this year. And in the you know, the difference in the running game. All that stuff leads me to believe that there is a path. There's a path out of the maze for the Steelers in this game. They know what they have to try to accomplish. They know, you know how they need to try to do it. They need to know what they, the pitfalls that they have to avoid to get there. Um, but I, th- I just don't think you can deny that Kansas City also has a path out of the maze. Right? Oh, I, could the Steelers lose this game? Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. They cannot allow the, the – I don't think the Steelers can lose this game if the Chiefs special teams or defense doesn't score. If they score a touchdown, I think they can win the game. How about that? If the, if the Chiefs defense and special teams do not score, I'll be shocked if they beat the Steelers. I just I don't think – now, if, if Ben turns the ball over at the one or Le'Veon Bell fumbles at the one, that's basically 
just for those people that are going to track this very closely. But, you know, I I have a feeling about this team, and they're getting better. What I think is really overlooked is how good the Steelers defense has played over the last six, seven, eight weeks. You know, and yep. the defense is not only fast. People are saying, oh, they got speed into the defense. No, I mean, yeah, but Stefan Tewin, L.T. Walton, Hargraves might be, like, vertically a little bit challenged at six foot one, but he's, like, 305. He's not, like, a little guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's, he's a large specimen. L.T. Walton is a big dude. You know, McCullers is a big dude. And, you know, Timmons and Shazier might be a little bit on the small and the lightest size, but James Harrison and Bud Dupree might be the two strongest outside linebackers in the NFL. You know? Um, so, we're not soft. I mean, and do you think Alex Smith is going to really, really like rolling out to the right? and see Bud Dupree, you know, coming down on them. Because no matter what you anyone says, there was a thought that crossed your mind that, like, holy fuck, Bud Dupree just killed Matt Moore. I mean, I definitely, I definitely had, yelled during the live shot on the play, and I just, I mean, I just said ow because I, I thought, I'm not sure if he killed him, but I knew that that was more serious than just your normal – Quarterback hit or quarterback sack. You thought he took his soul. You, you did. You think he, he that yep. he was just like, oh. And I was just like, I was pretty pissed there was a penalty. After watching the replay, I understand that he the, the action carried through to the chin. But, I mean, Bod really tried to be hit him legally. You could yep. see him, you know, and I was just like, wow. I mean, I was really were you were you not were you not impressed and and have a degree of respect for Matt Moore after oh, that absolutely. coming back from that? My goodness. I'll put it this way: he should, he did not win the the game. He should never have to buy a drink or a meal anywhere in Miami again, because how could you be more proud of a quarterback? I understand he didn't win if he would have won, but you know the starters down and. You know, he tried to win the game. You know, he – I I thought he was definitely far more fucked up than he was. And how many guys would have rushed back in there in the next play? That's Yeah, not too many. And the next play, you know, he's like Bud, Bud Dupree running free at him, you know. Right. So that was an excellent, excellent holding penalty on the following play. Let <laughs> me just yeah, tell you because Juan James, yeah. because if, because if if Bud gets a second lick on him, that might have been it. Um, the thing about Alex Smith, though, you know, like sure he's not going to want to roll out and see either James Harrison or Bud Dupree anywhere, but he has a you know a degree of mobility. A that degree is, of mobility. Well, I mean, he may be the most mobile quarterback in the NFL, right? He might be the most athletic quarterback in the NFL. Agreed. So the, so so underrated. So the thing is, I just I don't think you can you're going to see your pass your edge rushers rush have a two way go with impunity against Alex Smith. You just can't do it, you know. Right, but um, you could see them have the two way go, and you could spy with Shazier. Yeah, much like uh, what was the who was the oh, was that was it 
Robert Griffin. What was it? Who was it? Just a little while ago, they did that with somebody. Right. They actually they did it with Robert Griffin after Robert Griffin had success. Um, but they did it against Alex Smith this season, and they had a lot of like pretty much real good success with it. They even they spied with Shazier and Timmons. At times, they spied them with um, the young man uh, Justin Gilbert. Actually, spied him once, and he didn't know what to do with that because yeah. uh, this, this, if the Steelers, the Steelers really locked on the Chiefs receivers, and I, I like I said, I just. I have a good feeling about this game. Next week, if the Steelers get through, New England is, you know, every team has their kryptonite, and there's just teams that are built to give other team fits. I believe the Pittsburgh Steelers are built to give Andy Reid's Kansas City Chiefs fits. It's not a great matchup of his offense of scheme versus what the Steelers do. Sure. Um, I mean, I totally understand where you're coming from. I just, you know. I, and I understand where you're coming from. You know, Andy Reid doesn't want to go multiple receivers. He wants pro-style formations. He wants his fullbacks. He wants his two tight ends. He's willing to go three wide receivers. He really don't want to go shotgun. And that keeps the Steelers base. That's That keeps Shazier and Timmons, Bud and Harrison on the field. That's generally you want to get one of those guys off the field with the Steelers 3-4. Sure. Even with, like, New, New Orleans. You know, when they had Pat Swilling, Ricky Jackson, the late great, you know, Sam Mills, Von Johnson. You want to get one of those guys off the field. New England, you know, and with Willie McGinnis and Teddy Bruschi. It's the goal of a team a lot of times is just to get that fourth backer off the field and make that team go nickel. Our nickelback is not generally as good of a football player as our fourth linebacker. Be that fourth linebacker, be someone like Larry Foote, who a lot of suitors like to pick on, fans like to pick on, but, you know. Well, well, it's like they, I noticed their Steelers are using quite a bit of big nickel lately, where they have Jordan Dangerfield come in um, as the uh, extra defensive back on early downs where they don't want to play the base defense. I think that's kind of interesting. And, I, and one thing I'll say about that is uh, it's been a very quiet uh, appearance by Jordan Dangerfield in those formations, meaning it's not like he's shown out as a glaring weakness. So uh, no. it seems to be seems to be working okay for them. Um, I think they like his tackling. I think they like his open field tackling ability. Sure. Because it, they actually had that big nickel in a lot of times against, you know, the two tight end sets, and he played more of a rover, where I completely agree with you. Big linebacker, you know, a small linebacker, big defensive back. He's actually neither one. But, like, the Deontay Buchanan role from Arizona. Sure. He's a little bit that more off the line of scrimmage. And it gave J.H.I. some problems. Sure. I mean, I think that was the role they, they drafted Travis Feeney for. Um, that I, never... I, I don't disagree. He can really cover. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think that they covered him. To, to, if they had their way, he would be lining up against Kelsey this week. Sure. I mean, do you think they'll use the Justin Gilbert thing again, or do you think that was a uh... – He can go. I wouldn't be surprised if he plays. He has a ability to cover larger men. He did a good job at, at Oklahoma State. You know, um. We're just, I mean, Justin Gilbert, I think that you could see him active. What I think the big difference is, is I'm not surprised at where Sean Davis, or excuse me, where Artie Burns is now. He's, he's starting to get, I'm shocked how quickly Sean Davis has become a processing information and getting himself not only in the right position, but positions to make plays that change games. 
And uh, I think that that might be the, one of the Steelers' best hits in a draft in a long time. And I know whenever that's a lot to you know a lot to say. Martavius Bryant is a stud found in the fourth round, and I mean this might be your your like AB type find. You know where ha ha ha. You know, in the second round, we just might have got the best defensive back in this draft. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. I, uh, as you know, really craved the Carl Joseph thing. And, you know, it became a mood point so when he was taken at 10. But if you're going to use him the way that Oakland used him this year, which is, is basically uh, a deep half corner, a deep half uh, safety, and not really utilize all the different things that he can do, uh, Sean Davis is going to end up being a better NFL player and more valuable NFL player. I, you know, I kind of feel like maybe they were trying to ease Carl Joseph into that role and maybe next year he'll do a little bit more and so on. And the Steelers took the opposite direction with Davis. They threw him to the fire right away. It uh, took their lumps and so on and so forth. But it's hard. It's, it'd be hard to imagine that even Carl Joseph would be better at doing what Sean Davis is doing at the level he's doing it now. Um, the, the progress that he made as a rookie if you think about how long it took uh, Troy Polamalu to to settle into that role and really understand what he was doing and not be a liability on the field, it took him a whole season. Uh, so more than a whole season even. Uh, was that, by the way, the, 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 Troy, Troy Polamalu having the interception where he ran over Carson Palmer, was that his rookie year or his second year? Do you remember? I think it was yeah. his going into his third year. Yeah, so he'd already been past that state, yeah. Um, at any rate, Sean Davis, you know, in terms, of, in terms of what he's showing as a rookie, say the same with Artie Burns, say the same with Hargrave. They've shown more as rookies than, than most Steelers uh, defenders have in a really long time, uh, whether that was out of necessity or the fact that they just bit the bullet early in the year and were like, we need these guys by the end of the year to be playing at an acceptable level, so let's take our lumps whatever the decision-making was, uh, you know, definitely have to appreciate that. Um, let, let's talk about Andy Reid coming out of the bye week for a second. Um, one thing I was thinking about this is that the, I'm, I'm going to make a statement. You tell me true or false. The Steelers are a little bit of a hard team to game plan for, game plan, plan for by looking at tape. And I'll give you, I'll give you two reasons. Uh, one is, First of all, uh, they're so uh, not only Jekyll and Hyde in terms of efficiency on offense, but they'll they'll one week they'll be running uh, counter trays, you know, for an entire drive of a football game, and then other times they'll be running inside outside zone, or Ben will be winging it all over the field with with five wides and so on and so forth. So there's a degree of sort of unpredictability in their plan. Plus, you have Ben Roethlisberger and Le'Veon Bell, who are both very idiosyncratic players. Uh, hard to game plan for. That's one. And then B is on defense, it feels like they've done a lot of different kinds of plans uh, that might let you move the ball but don't let you score. So to me, I think they're kind of a hard team. Even if you have extra preparation time and you're really good during your bye weeks of breaking it down, it would seem like the Steelers are a little bit of a hard team to, to come up with a game plan to take advantage of their problems. Uh, tell me if I'm right or wrong. Right, to an extent. I mean, um, what I think makes the Steelers – we'll just take the run game. What, what, what makes the Steelers' run game hard to stop is um, 
They're multiple in the run game. They can zone. They can man. Basically, they run a combination of the two. The Steelers' run-blocking scheme right now is not far different than the Steelers' run-blocking scheme from the late 70s, where they progressed a little bit past the straight trap to where they started into like what they call the pick play, which you would call a counter tray. Um, they pull multiple linemen. When's the last time you've seen a right tackle pull in the run game in the NFL? And Steelers did several times last week with Marcus Gilbert. Probably when's the last time an NFL team had a right tackle that was mobile enough to pull. The Washington yeah. Redkins of, of uh, the John Riggins era. Is literally the last yeah. time I remember Joe seeing Jacoby, that. you know, right. You, you, Joe Jacoby. Um, Dallas did actually at times with Eric Williams, which was whoo, fun to watch that fucking massive. <laughs> big, uh, big dude, clips. yeah. Yeah, you know, just, um, but yeah, it's just not something you see very often. Um, defensively, um, the one thing that you really can't get used to until you see it is speed. And, um, James Harrison's is not going to be really fast at a 40 anymore. But until you see James Harrison coming at a 31-degree angle, rolling his 5'10", 255-pound body into a ball, you know, the size of something that you could fit into a suitcase, you got to block that, you know. It's, it's, it's just a different beast. And... Um, you know, Bud Dupree, I like Jarvis Jones. I do. I, I think he tried. It just he wasn't a fit for what the Steelers asked him to do. He's a little bit different in Arthur Motes and in uh, Jarvis Jones, which the, the Chiefs seen last time. In Bud's speed, I mean, a lot of what Kansas City likes to do is to take advantage of teams being over-aggressive or getting themselves out of position. The one thing about as much speed as the Steelers have, if one guy runs himself out of position, a lot of times there's another guy that can run himself into position. And that's Ryan Shazier, and that's Sean Davis, that's Artie Burns. Um, James Harrison really doesn't get himself out of position very often, so it doesn't happen much with him. But Lawrence Timmons' ability, he finally learned to take proper angles. And um, he, he... the Steelers can make up for a lot of mistakes defensively, and a lot of teams can't do that. We'll take a perfect example would be the Denver Broncos this year. Um, they really couldn't stop the run, and they were horrible against the screens, and they were horrible against tight ends. So if you struggle to stop the run, you stop the, to stop backs and tight ends, it doesn't matter how great those defensive backs are. You know, teams aren't going to throw to wide receivers. If you, if, you was to, if, if I can have easy completions to Jesse James and to Le'Veon Bell and to Roosevelt Knicks, guess what, A.B.? You're not going to see the ball. And A.B. got to be accepting of that. And he is, actually. He, he showed that, you know, last week. I mean, I don't think he was targeted after the first quarter until halfway through the third. He didn't, he didn't bitch. You didn't see him bitching, complaining, turning it off. He just ran his routes, ran them hard, and did the right thing. Yep. Well coached, fast, violent. It's hard to prepare for. Yeah, unless you, I mean, to me, it's like you, you have to try to use speed against itself, you know, so I, I guess I'm going to be a little unsurprised if uh, Kansas City doesn't, you know, use some misdirection against the Steelers to try to take advantage of all that speed. 
because that's what I mean. That's what they you know. That's the classic thing with speed is you either run straight at it and try to run over it with power, or you use it against itself like jujitsu uh, to right. you know to to try to make them run themselves out of plays and so on. But you know, which is something totally that agree. you know may, maybe Shazir can be susceptible to. But if he's spying the quarterback, it won't matter you know as much. But see, the thing is, is I think this is the week that Tyree Kill's riddle might get solved because there's not a more violent hitting team than the Steelers over the last two months. I'll tell you what, though, but but speaking of Matt Moore and having respect for him, I remember that uh, Hill got absolutely drilled in the earlier matchup and kept on going. So, I mean, you know, I guess guess I'm not convinced that that he's a guy that's soft. Just he's he's not, I'm not guy. saying that he's soft. What I'm saying is he's 170 pounds. And what I'm saying is Bud Dupree and James Harrison show no quarter. And they're brick walls. I, I mean, trust me, I'm not going to try to – Ryan Shazir is fluid and fast, and he's a playmaker. He's always around the ball. Did I or did I not call for a splash play last week, and did he or did he not have an interception? He's a guy that loves the spotlight. He's a diva. I'm good with it. You know, I would prefer you to wear your shirt. I don't want you to have a chest cold. You know, him <laughs> running around without a shirt. <laughs> you need chicken noodle soup and mittens. But, um, yeah, that's F- FC, the, the Jewish grandmother. I like it. Yeah. Um, you got, I mean, I, it's, when I say solved, I'm not saying that he's going to be done or anything, but. You know, two or three times he's like almost got the big hits, and he's avoided it. He's finally going to get solved, I think, this week. He's going to take one, and I believe he'll get, he'll pop back up. I'm not saying he's not, but you know, if you take one, you want to take another one. You know, and if I can make you just stop for a second, and that's a lot of what you're seeing with this with with receivers. You know. Uh, if it, in traffic, do you really? If and you you know where James Harrison is every down, and it's starting to get that way with Mike Mitchell, and Mike Mitchell seems to show in a little bit to Sean Davis about putting the hot sauce on him. Yeah, he's got hot sauce in his bag for sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I'm, I'm you're you're slowly winning me over to optimism, but I'll tell you how you're going to seal the deal, and that is. You're going to talk about Eric Fisher and and Mitchell Schwartz. Uh, it'd be hard. Have we have we played a set of uh, offensive tackles who collectively are worse? Yeah, but not much. I'll put it this way: um, Brandon Albert and Juwan James are probably every bit as good, if not better. And the the difference is is Kansas City doesn't have three 280 pound tight ends to help in the run game and the chip. You know, yep. if Travis Kelsey's forced to chip Bud Dupree or James Harrison, that's known as big win stealers. Because there might be a time or two where James Harrison isn't supposed to rush the passer. He's supposed to, you know, jump into the flat where he might just want to, you know, grab a hold of Mr. Kelsey and discuss his chicken paprika recipe with him <laughs> for an extended period of time. <laughs> that's a lot of scrimmage. Right. <laughs> well, uh, I, I, I think we've touched on a lot of good I, points. I, I, it's going to be a good game. It, it's Kansas City in Kansas City. Um, what 
who, who, who's the last team that Kansas City beat in a home playoff game? Last win in Arrowhead was in uh, – Against your Pittsburgh Steelers with Joe Montana they, playing quarterback. 1995. So, just remember that. There, I mean, yeah, what, but was it? 1993. Was it, 90, was it yeah. 93? Holy yeah. shit, even longer than I thought. So. Yeah. You know. And I remember watching that game in, in utter disgust. We had the lead so, late. Uh, as I recall, and uh, Joe Montana, you know, in a classic Joe Montana fashion, won the game. Uh, but, you know, Alex, Alex misses a lot, a lot of things. I, I'm not sure he's Joe Montana. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's more Steve Young, and that's not me talking down Steve Young. Um, that's actually me more talking up Alex Smith. He's sure. going to be the most athletic quarterback that we face. I'm, period. I mean. Yeah, I know. I, I'm not going to argue with you. Like I that said, that bothers I, a lot of people. But I mean, um, and that includes Cam Newton. I think he's more athletic than Cam Newton, and I know that is going to freak out some people. It's just how good Alex Smith actually is as an athlete. I think he's yeah. actually a far better quarterback than a lot of people think. Yeah, he's. I mean, the thing is, he's. You know, he he understands what he's good at and what he's not good at. You know, that's the thing I like about him is that he he. Right, he's not trying to, out there trying to do things that he's not really capable of doing consistently. Right. He plays as Alex Smith. He's not trying to be more than Alex Smith is. I think that's the top of uh, what Andy Dalton could ever come close to being is Alex Smith. And that's nothing against Andy Dalton. I don't think he'll be that athletic. I think he – see, what people don't realize about Alex Smith is he has very good arm talent. And when I say very good arm talent, I mean very good arm talent. Very accurate, very strong arm, quick release. Can throw the ball on the move. I'm not trying to talk anybody in this. You know, Jeremy Macklin and fucking Conley, and the, they do not bring fear to me. You know, Alex Smith can't throw the ball to himself and da, 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 go out there and play Frogger. <laughs> you know, it's it is what it is. You know. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe like I said, there. If it weren't for the bad weather, I'd be predicting that uh, Kansas City would drop some uh, trick plays where they throw it to Alex Smith. So maybe he could. Uh, be there, you still know. may see him. I think Kansas City is going to be all hands on deck to create offense. Yeah. Feels like it. I mean, just watching the highlights of uh, the last Kansas City game and looking at the kind of trouble that Kansas City was having with uh, our, our edge guys in that game who were not the edge guys who are going to play in this game. Right. That, that definitely bodes well. All right. Hey, Can let's they, go to our – oh, go ahead. You have the last go, word. Go, no, no, no. You, you, you take it, sir. I was just going to say, let's, let's go uh, – uh, to our illustrious Around the League segment brought to us this week by... Oh, wow. A lot of people to bring it. Richard Mann. Getting Richard Mann his second Super Bowl ring. I think we decided on that. We're going to dedicate the pick segments to Richard Mann. So get <laughs> Richard Mann his second Super Bowl ring. Excellent. And mom and Dan Carpenter's wife. <laughs> Dan Carpenter's wife. Uh... Yeah, and to there's... Jeffrey Sessions, our new attorney general, who's going to try to fuck with marijuana. That's oh, my true. God. That's he's... dirty, dirty. And that might I be the least. <laughs> don't... Jeffrey Sessions, you racist bastard. Don't extinguish my dreams. Extinguish, literally, your dreams. Exactly. <laughs> well, uh, looking around the league, I guess these matchups are nothing is a, nothing is a huge surprise. I mean, just the, you know. Other than Derek Carr getting hurt and Oakland getting knocked out of this final eight, uh, fairly predictable final eight. Um, let's yeah. let's start let's start with that one first. Uh, Bill O'Brien, Tom O'Brady, Tom O'Brady. Listen to me, Bill O'Brien, mm-hmm. Tom Brady, 
a little bit of bad blood, I guess. Uh, yeah, you know, maybe, the, but there is. and then the you know the idea of uh, Clowney and some other you know uh, guys in the defensive front for for Houston being able to cause some disruption. Is there is there any chance that Houston's defense can keep their offense in it in this game? What do you think? If they don't injure Brady within the first 15 plays? No. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Whitney Merciless and Javon Clowney have been fucking people up. Not as much Clowney last week. He did have the pass defense and the interception. He wasn't as uh, much of a terrorist in the passer as I thought he was going to be. Uh, but Whitney Merciless really was. And Vince Welfork, he doesn't uh, – Take too many plays off. He doesn't got a ton left in the tank. What, what but, do you think? You know, what do you think Vince Wilford actually weighs right now? Four or two. I was going to say that's on the light side. He he looks he looks like the biggest NFL player I've ever seen. I'm not sure I've seen anybody. Yeah, but I mean, he looks. He I think right now. Don't Vince forget, Wilford, Ted Washington was six six. <laughs> <laughs> and massive. Yeah, I mean, Wilford though he looks. 100 pounds heavier than he did early, early Miami or at New England. New England. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, he's, mean, a big, he, he's a large lad. I'm not saying he's going to do much. He's, you're just not going to run in his vicinity. And his ass takes up from guard gap to guard gap. So. <laughs> he's up I on just, the field. He's two gapping. I, just looked, uh, I was just looking up to see what he actually is uh, listed measurements are. He's listed at 6'2", 325. That yeah. is fake news, ladies and gentlemen. That is fake news. That shit should be on BuzzFeed. God damn it. <laughs> Six two three twenty five. Yeah, I don't think so. It'd Let me much, put it this way. <laughs> much like Dennis was two forty. Yeah. Right. <laughs> we gonna put it to you this way. Go ahead, hit me. He he isn't weighing. He he's. Oh, let me put it this way. He's closer to four twenty five. Definitely, I would agree with that. Yeah, he's in the President Taft category. He is. He's becoming the fucking uh, Supreme Court justice when he's done. You know, they had to make a new bathtub for Taft. Mm -hmm. Right? Okay. Mm -hmm. Vince Wilford got a custom bathtub in his house, I guarantee you. Um, I bet you had a refrigerator and more than four rooms in his house. Would you take that back? (laughs) (laughs) He's got one built into his couch next to his big screen I, so that's that's I'll an extra one right there. five seconds or less riddick bow former heavyweight champion in the world had like 13 refrigerators in his house <laughs> he literally did he had a refrigerator in like every fucking room you just imagine he was talking to some architect about building this house and he's like man the only thing i really care I about is i need a refrigerator <laughs> everywhere i need 220 in every room for my refrigerator i never want to be able to not reach and find a cold beer yeah totally i can see that um, all right, so since you're a gambling degenerate, uh, New England favored by 16. Uh, does Houston have a chance of covering 16? I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no as well because Bill O'Brien's right in his mouth. <laughs> there you go. Uh, at The other three games I think are all pretty uh, interesting, interesting matchups, right, and maybe set themselves up for pretty good games. Uh, at Atlanta – the Falcons are a five-point favorite over Seattle. I mean, it just totally depends. Do you do you go with uh, the team that has, you know, pretty much shown themselves to be playoff warriors 
even when they even when they're not that great, they're pretty good in the postseason uh, against the team that you know. Other than one one game has pretty much looked not so good in the postseason in recent years. This present incarnation, uh, what do you like? I'm going to take the Atlanta Falcons for one reason and one reason only: no Earl Thomas for uh, Seattle, and there ain't no way Richard Sherman is going to get away with what he did against Julio Jones in the first matchup. I don't think Julio Jones is 100. percent I think his toe is pretty fucked up. But the sneaky thing about Atlanta is Mohamed Sanu, eh, he's pretty decent. And uh, Aldrick Robinson, pretty decent. And Justin Hardy is pretty decent. And Taylor Gabriel is pretty decent. They have five or six pretty decent wide receivers. Matt Ryan is pretty decent. Devontae Freeman. And oh my god, I just blanked on the other back. Um, uh, but, 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 but from Indiana, drafted in the second round last Jordan, year. not Jordan Howard, uh, the other guy. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm don't smoke pot, kids. Um, anyway, <laughs> they have a very good two backs. Um, they lost uh, tight end, but they have two humongous Polynesians in two Velo and uh, actually and Austin Hooper, who is not a Polynesian. <laughs> but he's also very good. Well, they do, have two, they do have two Polynesian guys. They have uh, Levine Tiliolo and Tia Levea. You are correct, and they also have Austin Hooper. So they have three <laughs> massive tight ends, very athletic. Defensively, they're not very good. They're not. Atlanta is not very good. They have two weapons, Vic Beasley, is a fucking madman. He really is. From Clemson, I didn't like him. He's a madman. He plays the game hard, and he plays the game right. The second player they have is Rashard Hageman. And if that motor is going, he and Vic Beasley are hell on wheels. I have a feeling, playoff game, Minnesota, he went to Minnesota, he's going to probably have that motor revving. And this is going to be a pretty interesting football game. Doug Baldwin is very good receiver. Paul Richardson, I think, is a stud. Jermaine Kearse always steps up in playoff games. Jimmy Graham has showed that you know he can be a special player in playoff games. It's going to be who can outscore who the most. And I think Atlanta is going to be able to get it done. But it's going to be like a 35-34 classic. I won't be surprised if it's the best football game of the weekend. Yeah, see, and what I'll say is, you know, you talk about Richard Sherman – uh, not being able to get away with it against uh, Julio Jones and so on and so forth. I mean, the best way to defense Julio Jones is to keep him sitting on the sideline, and that yes, that to me is, is that to me is the way that Seattle wins this game. They win this game I'm because involved. because they run the football, you know. And and, and Thomas, you know, right. I mean, Thomas Rawls and 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 Russ Wilson took off the knee brace last week. Was not really asked to do much in terms of moving around or running the football, but he has the capability of doing that. And I think Seattle has the capability of keeping the ball, possessing the football for long stretches of this game, which ordinarily wouldn't in and of itself be enough to win the game. But then they also have finishers. You know, they have this, what Paul Richardson did last week was just stupid. You know, he had right. probably you could you could make an argument. He had two of the best five catches in the NFL in one half of football. You know, and that he's not even there. He's not even really, he's like their fourth guy, you know, their fourth receiving target. I I just feel like they have, 
they're built exactly right to win this kind of football game against a team that's primarily about getting ahead of you with their passing game in a dome and then having pass rushers to seal the deal in that game, right? That's a, that's a formula that's proven to work for teams, offensive-minded teams, but only if they face a defense that doesn't have a chance to slow them down at all and only if they face a team that can't stay on the field. Right. So, so to me, I, 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 Tevin Coleman are pretty good. Tevin Coleman. I remembered it. The Alzheimer's <laughs> isn't here yet. Yeah. I mean, it's, I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that Atlanta can't stay on the field. I, I'm saying right. that, that, uh, Atlanta off the field. That's my, that's my thinking is that right. Seattle keeps this uh, limited number of possessions type game that, that in turn lessens the impact of what Julio Jones can do. Matt Ryan can do with you know the, their their offensive flow, and I think if you get them in a game where you start getting into a heavyweight punching match in the fourth quarter, you're basically Rocky Balboa against Apollo Creed at that point, right? You've you've taken uh, you've taken away the advantages that they have of uh, the flash and brought them down into the gutter in your game. I kind of think that's a formula for winning in the postseason, especially on the road, especially against a team in, like Atlanta that has you know when's the last time Atlanta showed that they're a really you know tough physical football team that can beat someone into submission. I mean, uh, it's true that uh, you know they're missing a really key piece in Earl Thomas, but I think they're good enough to beat Atlanta. They may not be good enough to go all the way, Seattle, but I, I think they're good enough to win this week. So I'll, I'll uh, disagree with you a little bit and take Seattle. Um, Dallas and Green Bay, another really interesting game. You sound like you, you don't think it's going to be quite as close as the Atlanta-Seattle game, but you have basically a quarterback who uh, you know, has been on a roll, rolling through uh, mostly some mediocre defenses last week against a pretty good defense. Now he gets Dallas. Uh, Dallas, of course, you know, probably peaked about six weeks ago. Uh, so the danger for them is you know, they, can they get it revved up again up to top level? Can they resist the temptation to replace Dak Prescott with Tony Romo at the first sign of trouble? Uh, what happens in this game, Dallas and Green Bay? This is interesting. Jordy Nelson, probably not going to go this week. That's my bet. Two fractured ribs. That's If he plays, he's going to be very limited. Um, Montgomery, who they moved to running back, he went down like he was shot last week. Yep. I was thinking maybe he could step in and pick up. Nah, he's not going to. So that leaves Green Bay pretty much with Randall Cobb, who looked very good, very healthy. Devontae Adams, uh, White Chocolate, Jeff Janis. I still think it's enough that they might get it done. Here's my problem. Dallas can run the football at will. Green Bay plays good run defense for the most part. I don't think Green Bay is going to be able to play good enough run defense. Um, the reason I'm not quick to pick the Dallas Cowboys is because Des Bryant just is not right. I nope. like Terrence Williams. I don't think he's more than a guy that you can target five, six, seven times in the game. He isn't a number one wide receiver. Jason Witten doesn't have the ability to stretch the field enough in the passing game. He can only run so many screens. I think that Dak Prescott's good enough to win this game. But I'm concerned that if Dallas bogs down in the run game, 
the lack of a true number one receiver. I know in my heart that Aaron Rodgers is good probably for three touchdowns, maybe two field goals, just even with, you know, Randall Cobb and, you know, the, the with even the two, three receivers, you know, missing. I don't like Green Bay's defense that much. They're opportunistic. You know, Julius Peppers is making plays. You're just not getting enough, you know, from Mike Neal and for Matthews Jr., who's starting to come on. It's This is a coin flip game. And a coin flip game, apparently I'll lean towards the home team. I'm going to go against that. I'm going to go with Green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers. I just yeah. don't think that Dallas is going to be able to run the ball 35 and 40 times and go for 200 yards against the Packers. Yeah, and I mean, you know, take take in a game where there's disparity in the quarterbacks, take take the good quarterback is probably not the worst. Uh, Basically what I'm doing. Means of deciding. I hear, I'll throw something at you. Do you think the 2015 Arizona Cardinals defense was better, significantly better, about the same as Dallas's defense this year? I think 2015 Cardinals defense was better. Yeah, yeah. Kalis Campbell healthy. You had, you know, Honey Badger healthy. Patrick Peterson healthy. I think I, I personally think the Cardinals defense is better than the Cowboys this year. Yeah, I mean, I guess I would say that maybe, maybe in terms of, in terms of the secondary, I tend to agree with you that defensive, the defensive line for for Dallas, I think, could be disruptive in this game. Um, they got a lot of long, quick guys. You know, I really like David Irving. Mentioned yeah. him earlier. He's in the year. Be he playing. more into into play with no Randy Gregory. You know, yeah, and probably... and yeah, he's been playing. He he played both. Uh, he plays basically plays five tech a little bit. Plays. Uh, he was playing three tech at times earlier this year. He's he stood up and and you know ran as an edge rusher. Ran as a you know in a wide uh, nine technique. So the guy nine? kind of I used them all play. over the place. Right. I think he'll mostly be playing three and nine. He'll, he'll yeah. probably take the 10 or 15 snaps off of Randy Gregory. Mm-hmm. I, I, I can't see anybody else to pick up those snaps. I'm not saying it's like he's – I'm just saying, no, you know, with Gregory, DeMarcus Lawrence questionable with the back, you know, it's, he's obvious to, to step up. Yeah. The question is, it, is, is he going to get the production with the increased snaps? Yeah, it just I kind of feels like Crawf- Crawford and, uh, and, uh, and, and uh, you know, the other – the other interior linemen seem to have a little – that seems to be where their disruption comes from. And if they get matchups that work for them, they, 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 could def, they have definitely slowed down some teams from picking apart the secondary, which may have some you know, holes in it or whatever. So I kind of, here's how I see this game playing out. I kind of think that uh, it's, it's, it's going to be like, like it was against the Giants last week. It'll take the Packers a little while to get going in this game. Um, as they try to figure out how to handle what what uh, Dallas can do up front, and and try to adjust to not having Jordy Nelson, and uh, you know probably struggle in the running game a little bit. So the question is, can Dallas be good enough early in the game to to basically you know get it into a situation where it it isn't like the Giants only got up six nothing, right? That was the downfall of their game. If they if they get up fourteen to nothing in that game it may play out very differently for the rest of the way. And it may not be the same sort of Packers runaway that it ended up being. Um, I'm kind of thinking that Dallas 
might be able to get put enough points up to make it a challenge for uh, even a hot Aaron Rodgers in the second half of football to come back and win the game. I look at what uh, Aaron Rodgers did last year on the road at Arizona. He was 24 for 44, 54% completion, 261 yards, two touchdowns, interception, 77.9 rating. And here's the thing. He did enough in that game to win the game. You know, he had, they had the lead late, but it was a sort of like a struggle for him. He had to, you know, had to really dredge up a comeback uh, late in the game to give him the lead. And I kind of feel this will be that sort of a game. May not be the same result, but I kind of feel like it's a, uh, you know, it's a game where the giant, or the Green Bay is just not going to take an early lead and run away with it. I don't think in, even in general they're going to run away from Dallas the way they did from the Giants. And I don't love Dallas defense, but I, I picked them before the season started to move on. I don't really see a reason they can't move on in this game. They'll be fresh. They have the tools to keep the ball away from Aaron Rodgers. Uh, I kind of feel like they will. To me, it's a bigger question. Will Dak Prescott make it to the Super Bowl? You know, <laughs> like, will he make it as the starting quarterback to the Super Bowl? I'm not sure. You know, I see that happening. Um, but I guess it would be Steelers' best interest if Rodgers gets knocked out. I don't know. I don't know how to read that. At this point, you just have to beat whoever's in front of you each week. And it may be, they maybe have as much trouble with Alex Smith as anybody they face the rest of the year. Who knows? Uh, but I, I guess I will – I don't know what this – what is the spread? The spread is uh, Dallas four and a half. I guess I'll take Green Bay for the points, Dallas for the win. How about that? There you go. You allow me to do this. Uh, that brings us around from our fabulous pick segment uh, to pick uh, this week's Pittsburgh Steelers game. It's a five-star matchup. It really is a five-star matchup. I think Kansas City's pretty damn good, uh, at least for the state of the NFL 2016. And the Steelers may not have been the best team in the league when they started, but they're working up to it right now. They've been on a roll. Uh, the longest winning streak of of uh, Mike Tomlin's career. Uh, we're we're starting to approach the longest winning streak of Ben's career. You know, it's, we're not too far away from that right now. So uh, I don't know. I guess uh, I, I guess I'm supposed to go first. I will go first. Uh, I think I really I'm not just saying this to to dredge up drama and so on and so forth. Uh, I think this is going to be. Uh, a thrilling game if you're a, uh, an NFL fan of football who doesn't root for either one of these teams. <laughs> I think it's going to be damn exciting. For, for Pittsburgh Steelers fans, uh, I think it's going to evoke some memories of, uh, you know, the Ravens game from earlier this year, uh, both the 2008 and 2010 AFC Championship games. I just feel like it's a game where uh, both teams have a lot of good things going for them. And so it's not like you're, you know, catching Kansas City at the right time. They're sitting and waiting to, with a, to play a team that they got trumped, they got the thrumped by, plumped by, they got killed by the Steelers earlier in the year, and they're waiting for their revenge. They've had a bye week to think about it. Uh, and even though on paper they might not look like the sexiest team, they figure out a way to get it done generally. Got to limit mistakes if you want to beat them. Uh, the Steelers are a team that is capable of playing wonderful football and also of making terrible mistakes. So it scares me a little bit. I, I have the faith uh, in seven. You know, I think that guy has played, by the way, it's not something that we got to talk to uh, on the show so far, but Ben's road playoff record uh, as a quarterback, not, you know, the wins he's been pretty good, 
but the what he's put up numbers wise uh, in, in his career on the road uh, in the NFL playoffs is astounding. He's a terrific road quarterback. Uh, and I think right now his leadership is at the highest level it's ever been. It's, you know, if he can put together the leadership to take his team on the road and, uh, you know, show them how it's done. He's a man who knows how to do it. Uh, and he can get some of those famous teammates to come along with him and, and do what it is that they do. I have, I have faith that the Steelers can win this game in the end, but I'm, I'll be totally surprised that the Steelers have the lead going into the fourth quarter uh, yet. I'm going to pick them to win by the narrowest of margins. Um, I'm going to call it, uh, well, a slightly different score. I'm going to call it 29, 28 Pittsburgh may not be a very conventional way of getting there, a conventional score, but I, I think this is a, one of those sweat them uh, till the very, very end and make some big plays at the end of the game to win. Frankly, I don't care if they win by one or 30, as long as they get out of there with a win and reasonably healthy, I'm going to be, uh, you know, excited to see what happens the following week, but I'll, I'll take the Steelers by a point. Uh, what do you think FC? Um, what Kansas city does really well. <clears throat> uh, the Steelers do really well. Um, I think that the experts who break down this game miss out on uh, what the major, major component is. And it's the one unit that's on the field, you know, the most. It's the only unit that got five guys on it. And uh, it's really the only unit where cohesion really, really matters. Um, the Steelers' offensive line is the most underrated group in the NFL. You know, the 21 sacks allowed being the second fewest in the NFL. I'm a hardcore fucking Steelers fan. I wasn't aware of that until this morning whenever I read it. Um, and that's a shame. Uh, David DeCastro, Ramon Foster, Alejandro Villanueva. Marcus Gilbert, Marquise Pouncey deserve a lot of credit, and I pride myself as a Steeler fan and also being a fan of the offensive line. And they're the one group that, you know, goes unmentioned. I guess we're not used to them being, you know, pretty good, you know, because we've been told, you know, how poor our offensive line has been for the last 10 or 15 years. But sure. somehow, some way, we make the playoffs a lot, and, you know, over that period of time, we won two Super Bowls. Um, this is probably the best five. And that really pains me to say because I was a big fan, you know, of some past offensive lines. But David DeCastro and Ramon Foster have really, really solidified the offensive guards. And Venueva with uh, his work, he's still a young man as an offensive tackle. And uh, he's learning and he's getting better. But I'm going to focus in on um, the young man from the University of Florida. And that is not Marquise Pouncey. That is Marcus Gilbert. And Marcus Gilbert... Um, well, he has a reputation of uh, being the best right tackle in the NFL, and that reputation pretty much has been pushed by me for the last two years. I'm not a big fan before last year. Um, but I, after watching what he's done against Khalil Mack, after watching what he uh, has done, you know, against the best pass rushers that have been put out there against him. You know, everyone expects Justin Houston to come in and, and dominate, but Marcus Gore ain't going to let that happen. You know, and 
after the Steelers win, and they win pretty convincingly this week, just remember, Steelers' offensive line probably is the reason. You know, Le'Veon Bell is able to be patient because his offensive linemen are sinking, staying with blocks, getting to the second level, taking off smaller players that allow a three- or four-yard gain to become 12, 15, 25 yards. Le'Veon Bell is a hell of a back. We have a hell of an offensive line. Jesse James, not the greatest blocker in the world, but I'm going to tell you this, he ain't going to be out hustled, he ain't going to be outworked. Xavier Grimble is a phenomenal run blocker. People that said, oh, he's a positional blocker, he just wants to get in the way, well, you're pretty much fucking useless because you're just going off of what somebody else said. Watch the games. And that brings me to Colin Coward. I'm doing my last word thing now here. Guys, you know more about the Steelers than any national media guy that's probably outside of Pittsburgh. Now, I'm not going to say you know more about the Steelers than Twitch Oaken or Bill Hilgrim. They get inside information. They get the inside facts. You know, but whenever one of these outside media guys wants to tell you about your Pittsburgh Steelers, uh-uh. you know more about the Pittsburgh Steelers of 2016 than Terry Bradshaw does. Remember that. I'll take the Pittsburgh Steelers 27-24. Um, I think the Steelers are going to probably push this out to an early lead, um, probably like 10 points. The Chiefs will cut it down to within three. We'll bleed the clock at the end. It won't be too heart-pounding. Like, I think you think it's going to be, but uh, it's still going to be hard pounding. Um, <laughs> and let's get ready for New England, you know? And that's not me overlooking anybody. That's not me disrespecting anybody. It's that I know that Justin Houston is not going to be able to work my guy, Marcus Gilbert. And that's the matchup that's going to matter. You know, Tom Lee, you know, he's not the guy that he used to be. And he's going to give Valentine Wave us some problems, but they're both. You know they're 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 quality players and they're what they're going to keep it clean. You're not going to see any of the bullshit that you know. And I think that's where Miami got themselves in a little bit of trouble. I didn't mention this um, earlier. Is they attempted to take the game into the back alley with Sue, and uh, they wanted to play a little different type of game. And I don't think they expected the response they got from the former United States Army Ranger what they got from the former Tennessee volunteer from the two Gators and the Stanford Cardinal who are on the Steelers' offensive line because they'll play clean. But if you want to be dirty, nasty motherfuckers, they're all right with that, too. So. <laughs> That's your last word. Hey, uh, just referencing Ben's uh, playoff road playoff record. Six games, he's 4-2, and two, uh, 62.8% completion. 1,555 yards, nine touchdowns, two interceptions, 102.14 quarterback rating. Uh, so all the games in front of you, or is that just a career look? Do you, do that, you have, by any chance, the individual games in front of you? I do. There's a game that sticks out. Do you, by any chance, have the 2005 Denver AFC Championship game? Absol- absolutely. 21 of 29, 72.4%, two touchdowns, 275 yards, 124.9 rating. Pretty good. Best, best game that I remember Ben Roethlisberger playing as a Pittsburgh Steeler. Excellent. Super Bowl in the AFC. I, the numbers may not say that. It was just that game. I, re- I remember that game like it's yesterday, and I was, I just still leaves me in awe because there was three or four drops in that game. And you know something else? You know something else about that game? People want to talk about the you know poor decisions Ben makes. It'll be my last word. The, the yes. poor decisions and he throws into coverage and so on and so forth. The, throw, the, the touchdown he throws to Hines Ward in that game 
is one of the worst, like the worst decisions ever. He throws no, it into no, a, no, no. out of three people, you know, and it clears the defender by about a half an inch, and uh, somehow turns into a touchdown for Heinz Ward. It's like some of his greatest plays he's made were on some of the most, you know, just no other quarterback even attempts that throw. Who's got a brain? Um, so at any rate, I don't know. I mean, wear the right, wear the correct glove, Ben. That's all I have to say. <laughs> wear the correct glove this week because. You know, if he doesn't have grip problems like he had in Buffalo, um, you combine that with what the Steelers' offensive line can do, Steelers have a chance to to do what you're saying in this game, and I think that's, you know, the outcome we would like to see. But let me It's just... not dominate necessarily. It's just do enough to keep the game, you know, under our control. I think Todd Haley's going to coach this game and, game play, and, and, play, and call plays so the Steelers are always leading the dance. I don't think he wants to counter punch at all in this game, and I don't think he has to. No, but you know they're all. You said that you don't think it'll be, uh, you know, uh, uh, testing our uh, our uh, survival skills or in our heart racing and all that kind of stuff. But you know, this time of year, they're all like that. <laughs> they're they're all like going to kill you and create a heart attack. So it doesn't matter if it's a blowout or not. Um, I'll be still just as uh, crazed and nervous. Anyway, uh, FC, great program. Keep it up. You're keeping it up to a high postseason level. You're peaking. We're peaking, I think, towards the end of the year. I hope we still have a long way to go. Yes, so, yeah, uh, it's kicking in. <laughs> keep it going. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back next week, and I'm going to talk to you after a gigantic Steelers win in Kansas City. Uh, go get them, Steelers. Go Steelers. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.